This is a Radio.com original. So after that, I got the Morris Minor and I bought that from a dealership because I thought I'm not going to be stung again. I'm not going to buy another rotten car. And they were lovely because I went down and they said, right, you know, you've never driven a Morris Minor before. And I'd got carried away with the romance of it. And I thought, oh, it would be brilliant. It'll be so easy to drive. And I got in and I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? The steering wheel's enormous and the brakes are rubbish. And, but (laughs) I just thought I'm going to crack on because everybody said I couldn't do it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Talking About Cars with Randy Cardoon podcast. I am Randy Cardoon, and of course, I'm here in our San Fernando Valley studio here in SoCal while our buddy Hot Rod Bob is joining us. That's him. And what studio are you in, Bob? I'm in beautiful downtown Port Huaynini atop the palatial studios here at my home. What are you, on the roof? I could be close, you know, oh, second, right. second floor anyway. Okay, very good. So what, what's the weather like out there? Well, you know, today we're having a heat wave, as you are there, and mm-hmm. uh, here it is climbed up to 80 degrees, and it's it's the hottest day we've had so far this year. 80, the big 8-0 for Hot yeah. Rod Bob, and he lives by the beach. I, unfortunately, live in a valley, and it's 247 degrees right now here. Oh. No, no, not really. It's only 1 Toasty. One oh something. I don't know. One oh something. One oh something. Something like that. <laughs> so we've got yes. a great show for you today, and let's bring her in. And I don't know if you've seen this show, but it's uh, a show on YouTube. It's called "I Drive a Classic." And let's bring her in now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Bob, what happened to you? I'm right there. <laughs> Your logo just popped up. Yeah, I know. I hit the wrong button. I was trying to clear my throat. And- Steph. Holloway from I Drive a Classic, and Steph right now is connecting to audio. Now she'll be connecting to video. There she is. Oh, look Let's at that backdrop. Steph Holloway, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. I love the background. That is just super. Thank you. I found it on Google a little while ago, and I had totally forgotten that I'd set it up. So, yes, this is uh, my fake kitchen. It's not my real kitchen because that's that way so yeah i'm, I'm shocked <laughs> well you don't have to show us your real kitchen at least on that not on this episode you know so <laughs> welcome to our show thanks for joining us and thank you very much for having me it's uh, it's really bizarre to join you because i know that it must be your afternoon surely absolutely yep. it's uh, about 1 30 in the afternoon our time and you are actually we were just comparing weather here We're in Bob's area in Port Wainimi, California, near the beach. It's 80 degrees. We're going through a heat wave. I'm in the West San Fernando Valley near Los Angeles. And in the valley, that usually means over 100 degrees. So the word Schwitz will come up several times today. And you are where and what's the temperature out there? So the temperature is, well, absolutely freezing. I mean, it's summer (laughs) and I'm wearing a full jumper. So last week we had massive thunderstorms we went away camping in a canvas tent from the 1970s and uh, we must have had two or three inches of rain and the worst thunderstorms I think I've ever experienced in my adult life and it was you could feel it right above you and I thought oh my god I thought we we should have we should have had really good weather it's August but uh, no it's been very strange because it was I don't know what it would translate over as but it was 34 degrees so Absolutely. Celsius, yeah. 
Mm. And they do Celsius in the UK. You're, yeah. in, you're in the United Kingdom, of course. I am, yes. I'm in England, the north of England. That's always kind of fun. She is, again, the host of I Drive a Classic, based there. And Steph, let's start things off a little bit by giving people who haven't seen your show a little bit of a background. What is I Drive a Classic all about? So I Drive a Classic is reviewing cars from pre-2000. And I try and give you a bit of a feel for what that car might be. And I started out by doing a lot of British stuff because people from abroad had said to me that they had maybe not seen some of our cars. And through sheer, I think sheer luck and being adopted by the world of the YouTube community, I've been given massive privilege in testing many other cars that are perhaps rare. So I've really branched out into other stuff. So I did um, an all car Snuggie last year, which was, uh, so I'll give you a little bit of a background on what that is. So in France, in the 70s, if you lost your driving license from drink driving, they gave you something called a sans permis, which was a small car, and it would only go up to, essentially, it's no, it's no faster than a motorised scooter. And <laughs> it was insane. So in the video, I'm driving along, and it looks like a giant block of cheese. And I'm driving along. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, I it's think I saw three, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's on three wheels and you can lift it up with your hands. Anyway, so that's something that I've tried to do is that I try and deliver cars in a positive way because I think that people watch other TV programs and they get a negative perception of a car. Whereas I'll take a car, even a car that perhaps isn't amazing, and I'll say to you, right, these are the benefits of this car. So, for example, the Allegro was... so. In the UK, it's, uh, I don't think they sold it abroad, the Austin Allegro. But again, really interesting car that perhaps you might not see if you're on your side of the pond or in Australia or New Zealand or anywhere else. And so we had the ADO 16, which I believe was sold um, globally. And so after that, they made the Austin Allegro, which is known as the Austin All Agro in this country because people don't remember it very fondly. Now, a lazy approach could have been, I could have said to you, this is what's wrong with it. It's rubbish. It's this, it's that. It doesn't look like the original drawing. But what I tried to do was point out some of the things like it was one of the first Austin cars to have crash protection. It had um, under ceiling. They'd gone back and I'd try and show you cars in a more intelligent way, in a more positive way. And I'm not really a supercar girl. I'm more of a cars that you might remember from your childhood. But as you know, as we've discussed, I've also been hugely privileged to test some of the cars from your side of the pond. So I did the Plymouth Fury and we've got a few other American bits and pieces coming up but I'm trying to digress slightly and bring in some of the pre-war stuff and so we've got a really great mix of cars and I try and keep the videos to under 20 minutes as well so that you can just enjoy it on a Sunday morning when it goes up on iDrive a Classic on YouTube and uh, yeah so that's kind of my channel in a bit of a meandering nutshell. Ah, okay. So that's very good. I like to hear that. And you brought up that Plymouth Fury. It's interesting. You have so many different cars on the show, and we'll talk about some of the English ones in a minute. But let's start with that Fury. Uh, it was, a, if I remember right, it was a 1960 uh, was, yes. four-door sedan. How did you find that car? How did that come across to you? And what was your, I, I loved your impressions of the vehicle and what the guy who owned it had to say about how he acquired it. So it was really interesting because 
many moons ago, I, well, I am in the Morris Minerona Club, which is, I'm sure you guys know what that is because it's quite an iconic British vehicle. And um, so as part of that, I met Tom because he had a Morris Minor. Now, Tom, unlike myself, has graduated and gone up and up and up through these amazing cars. So he also owned the Vauxhall Victor, which was on the channel. And he bought this Plymouth Fury and I have been bugging him for a year. And I said, oh, please, let me test it. Let me test it. And then through probably Tom getting sick of me, he relented and he let me take the car. And I will be honest, Americans, you guys do an amazing job of really going hard or going home so that car was incredible because the stuff I look at so my Morris Minor is in 1960 and I look at that and I think okay this is what we had and then I look at what you had and I think it was insane because it just really for me invoked memories of watching Greece as a child and thinking the cars were just unbelievable and it also felt like do you remember the cartoons the Jetsons ah yes it felt like something Judy Jetson would drive. Yeah. And I just, oh, I was starstruck by the actual car. And I had a lot of, I was, I'll tell you what I was really surprised at. I had a lot of American viewers commenting and saying that they didn't think it was a very good car. And I think it must be that you have to take it. I guess for us over this side of the pond, it's very different because we don't know perhaps what else you had to benchmark it against. But for us, that car is yellow it's got those mad fins it's got everything about it which is insane and the one of the most interesting things i thought about that car was that you had those and that was a, like a kind of middle of the roadie sort of car yeah. for us a middle of the roadie sort of car might have been a morris minor so i look at the plymouth fury that doesn't even fit in a british parking space and yeah. i thought this is nuts. So for reference for anybody watching from abroad, the, well, for me, for abroad, is anyone that's outside the UK. Our parking spaces haven't increased since the 1960s. Ah. So the parking spaces <laughs> in the UK, have you ever watched Harry Potter? Yeah. Uh, I've, yeah, I've seen a few of them, yeah. So the parking spaces in the UK are actually modelled to fit a Ford Anglia, which is that tiny flying car. So you can imagine in the world of SUVs and American imports they don't fit but yeah I was really starstruck by the Plymouth and I think it's probably one of my favorite cars the American motor Detroit's era of amazing cars for me I just I don't know the more that I see the more I really enjoy and the more I love of them I think I think some of I think some of the American viewers really do it a disservice and they don't realize how lucky you guys were to have such incredible cars for in other countries they were only just really getting started, whereas you seem to have just everything in that car. But you know something, I'm a British car nut, and I have, and I've had two Mars Travelers. And oh, wow. to me, those are exciting cars because they are that much different from what we have here. I've had Triumphs and MGs and Austin Healy's, and the Morris Travelers were fun. As a matter of fact, I'm working on one right now for a museum to try and get it up and running. Uh, but your, your cars were much simpler. But yeah. they, you could actually work on them, and you could do it with regular hand tools. Our cars were so big and immense that you know it took two people to to pick up part of the engine to fix it mm. if you were working on it. But mm. the, and then talk about uh, the differences in the pond. That Plymouth is the study in excess. 
the Yenis Mims. Top of the line. That car no. was the top of the line Plymouth. It was basically your basic mom and dad or just mom sedan. Yeah. That, and it had a four-door post in the middle, so it wasn't even a hard top. Um, yeah, it was just your basic run-of-the-mill Plymouth, but it's interesting, the perspective. And you were t you mentioned it in your review, Steph, about how Plymouth at one point in the 1957 Plymouth, they said, suddenly, it's 1960. And the joke about this Plymouth, because that Plymouth had the chrome fins on it, and that was after everybody else pretty much started going back to regular Mm. Small fins. Small fins. And so the joke was, suddenly in 1960, suddenly it's 1957. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, but I can't believe, I mean, as you probably know, Bob, in a Morris Traveller, for anybody that's watching, that wood that's on the outside of the car mm. is structural. So yep. in the UK, I mean, as you, I'm sure I'm telling you how to suck eggs, but for people that haven't maybe come across a Morris Traveller before, you need to be treating that wood a couple of times a year. And for me, because I had a Morris Traveller, I just felt the upkeep was too much because especially in the Northern climate where I am, where it rains most days, um, it just wasn't a car that I could use and enjoy and keep on the road. Although it was very good in the snow, I will give it that. We took it out in two foot of snow and it was excellent. It was a really, really good car. Um, but I'm sure that you know that, and I think that this is really, really interesting for people watching, is that they still make the wood sets for those cars mm -hmm. new. And there's not just one company doing it. There are several companies doing it. And you just think it's a real testament to the fact that those cars are so loved, that people not only keep them on the road, but that people are still producing parts for them brand new that you can get off the shelves. Well, it's a collector car now, and they're highly sought after here. I was looking at one just last week because yeah. I'm in the I'm in the market for a wooden station wagon as we call them here or wooden yeah. and it's $7500 US <clears throat> for a car that needs to be put together. Wow. Uh for a complete one I looked at last week it's $20,000. <gasps> and he's already got the new wood kit and the new pieces on there and the the biggest thing about the market and I remember is I had to drive to work with it and I had to drive about 60 miles to work. Yes. And it was floored because our freeway speeds were such that I couldn't keep up with anybody else. But I oh, passed really? more gas stations than they did. That's true. <laughs> and That's that, true. that was that was one of the benefits of the British cars is they were compact in size, they had good performance for size, but they passed the gas stations. And that's mm. something that Plymouth can't do. It sees a gas no. station and goes, I'm hungry. The speedometer and the gas gauge move in unison. So it's really interesting you should say that because to, I said to Tom, I said, how on earth can you afford to run this car? Because fuel in this country is a lot more expensive than it is for you. And um, I should probably do some maths really and work out how much it is. But at the moment, so it's gone slightly up. So it was one pound per litre. So what's that? Probably about... God. Anyway, it was, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to keep a car like that running. And I just, I mean, for you to think that it's, you know, an expensive car to keep running for us over here, it's prohibitive. Um, but it, I guess it, but Tom said to me, he said, you know, it's just a, it's just a special occasion car. But for me, what I like is a classic car that I can use every day because I drive 30 odd miles to work 30 35 miles to work every day and i sometimes do that in a morris minor um 
And it's great because it doesn't cost me very much. Um, and in fact, it outperforms some of the thirstier cars from the 90s. And you just think that technology must have been so hugely advanced when people got those cars. And, you know, I don't know what it's like over there, but in this country, it was that era when women started to get their own cars and families started to maybe look at second cars and it gave a lot of it gave a lot of freedom to people that maybe hadn't had that freedom before yeah absolutely yeah. go ahead bob mm. you you've driven some neat cars I and mean, you talked about the fact that you know you see the american cars as wow you don't get them over there well yeah i was over in the uk last november and i was amazed at the cars that we don't get that mm -hmm. you get they're just, you, you have some interesting cars. We may get a, a, a forward focus here, but we don't get the same one you get. Yours, really? is better, yours is much better than ours. You have two door versions. We don't have that. You've got really? the RS. We got that for a little bit, but not much. Um, same thing with the, with the Fiesta. And you've got some neat car. I, I'm, a, I'm a truck guy. I like uh, the, what we call sedan deliveries. Oh, yes, which is yeah. a car-based van. Mm-hmm. You've got tons of those. Yeah. And I'm, when I was over there, I'm going, now, how do I get one of those back here? Because I think they're just cool. There's got to be a way to do that. Yeah, there is, they won't pass emissions, but yeah, it can be done. Yeah, because aren't your emissions? So um, I always think it's really interesting. So this is, sorry, my Morris Minor geeky facts coming out for you. It was, in fact, I believe american regulation that took the cars from so original morris miners are low lights mm -hmm. and they went up to highlights to meet the regulations that you have over there so we were yeah. driven by your regulations which i thought was so interesting and it stopped they stopped bringing in many british cars because of that because they mm. couldn't meet the u.s register they couldn't read the the standards I, I can't imagine a morris with crash bumpers that we have here. No. Yeah, that I would mean, not look good either. No, no, no. The, no. the car no. weighed, the bumpers weighed more than the car. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a question. Can you, so if you were to import a car made in say 1950 into America, does it still have to meet the emissions? No, no it has it to meet the okay. year of manufacture. So, All right, okay. So in our case, 1966 was the first years of required emissions, but they're very limited. The biggest thing is the safety. We had laminated glass before you did on the windshields. We had uh, the bigger bumpers. We had side crash standards that you did not have. Mm. And that's where that comes in. You can get an exemption for that on a one-time basis, but uh, it's still a process to, to bring them in. And as a matter of fact, the one that, I, the Morris that I'm working on now uh, for the Murphy Museum here where I live, is actually a 1969 version. Oh, is it, it? It's a right-hand drive, so it was imported from Britain. It doesn't meet any U.S. standards. So how they got it in? Yay! Yeah, we're yeah, yay. It's, it's <laughs> one of those things they, they brought in, and we're I'm finding differences from what we got here in the states. As a matter of fact, I had to do I have to do a a, a gasket replacement. And oh the yes, gas, yeah. The gaskets are not for the same engine that we had here. We never. Oh. We never got the bigger engine. Oh, so did you get got. the 948? Yeah, yes. she must have got the 948, yeah. Exactly. Does that yeah. work also uh, as far as exemptions? Like, for example, older American cars, mm -hmm. based on the year, if you didn't have, if seatbelts weren't required at that time, you don't have to have seatbelts on your car. Right? No, like so the that's... 50s cars and all that. 
Does that yes. work in America as far as bringing in other cars from other countries, as far as what the original rules that year was for that vehicle? Yes, so we've got the same setup here. So it's slightly, so they've introduced something recently, which is quite interesting. So it used to be any car made um, had to have an MOT. And then about probably six or seven years ago, they introduced this policy where they said any car made before 1960 didn't need an MOT, which is, I don't know what you guys have, but it's essentially a test each year where they test the mechanical fitness of the car. Um, and so that was pre-1960. Now in the last couple of years, that has now changed to a rolling 40 years. So as of this year, cars made in 1980 no longer need an MOT. And on top of that, if your car was made with, oh, there are some exemptions to that. So if it's heavily modified um, and not in kind of keeping with it. So for example, if you were to go up from disc brakes, so yeah, so if you were to go up from drum brakes to disc brakes, um, that's, uh, that's something that is acceptable. And they will say that's fine. If However, you were to say, I'm going to drop a V8 into this Morris Minor. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. They would then consider that significantly changed. It's a bit of a gray area, but you have to use some of your own judgment, I think, on it. And um, That's similar uh, to what we have, I think. We have yeah. a yeah. 1973, I think it is for us. I really? 75. Oh, is it 75 now? Okay. Yeah. So 75 and earlier, you no longer have to go through smog uh, tests. So bringing in a car from Europe. Would, mm -hmm. would be exempt from smog. It still has to meet the safety, the DOT, what we call DOT. But we don't have the annual inspections like you do, in California oh. anyway. In some other states, they do. It's all regionalized as far as that goes. Uh, oh, right. So we no. don't have that. We have to smog check them, though, if they're newer than 19, if they're 76 and newer. They have to go through a biannual check. Steph, let's go back a little bit. I, I'm curious, yeah. we're... Where and who did you get your influence from when it comes to old cars and older and classic cars like you show on your show? So there's a program and I don't know if it's been, um, and if you haven't watched it, you really should. So there's a program called Heartbeat um, and it's set in North Yorkshire and it's about this, it's, as a premise, it's completely bizarre. So it's about a village in the 1960s and it ran in the UK and it was hugely popular throughout the 90s. And I remember watching it and I thought, wow, those cars are really cool. It's really, really cool. And I thought that's the kind of car I'd like to drive. And so when it came to me passing my test, I had just a bit of a banger, first of all, which lasted a couple of months before it failed um, on structural stuff. So it had no floor, essentially. And then I bought... That'll do it, yeah. Yeah. So then <laughs> I thought, right, now is the time that I get my classic car. And I looked through eBay. I looked at lots of different things. I looked at Hillman Imps. I looked at Ford Anglias. And I settled for a Morris Minor because the parts availability was nigh on 100%. You could still get the parts. There were thousands of the cars. And I thought, that'll have a really good community. And nobody in my family had a classic car. So everybody thought I was bonkers. And they said, oh, you know, you won't last till Christmas. And I thought, no, I really enjoy it. And it broke down constantly week after week for the first six months. And I learned an awful lot. And uh, it didn't put me off because I bought another one and then another one. And then I now have the Metro as well. So I've still got all my 
Morris Minus because I'm an idiot and I haven't <laughs> learned my lesson yet. And uh, yes, but you're so a happy idiot, so that that works. I am. Yes. I am. Once in bits, it's the project car, and I saw something on I saw something on uh, Facebook at Christmas, and it said uh, Santa's going to turn up at your house this year and realise you've done nothing in a project car. And I thought, no, this, this is true. He's going to realise nothing has happened. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've got so I've got my three Morris Miners. I've got an Austin Metro. I don't know if you've got those over there. Um, and I I've also don't know if we got if if we actually called sure. it a Metro or not. Um, that we did get a number of Austins, but they called them some different things over the years. We had an Austin, we had a car that was called an Austin. It was actually the MG 1100 sedan. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, yes. So another, an, go ahead. I think that's the ADO 16. Yeah, so it was we, rebadged across okay. different names. So yeah. See, growing up in uh, the U S and Southern California in general, we all grew up of a certain age with matchbox cars. Yes. Yes. I would say about 50% of the cars on your page are, are these, are these things. Okay. Yes. You did the Rolls Royce. I did. Yes. You did the Rolls Royce. I believe you did the Anglia. 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 I did. Anglia. That was my very first car review, the Ford Anglia. Yes. And I apologize for how badly this looks. I have a, a much better one socked away in boxes, but I just, this was the first one that fell out. But this, oh. of course, <laughs> this was pretty trashed. I apologize Opal. for that. But this is, of course, the Vauxhall Victor. Oh, Vauxhall. No. Yeah, it Vauxhall. Is. And when you yeah. did your Vauxhall Victor, I could never, I could not remember anybody on any show doing anything with the Vauxhall Victor. So I give you kudos for that. Thank you. Well, I, Tom's had that a while. So Tom with the Plymouth Fury has had that a while. And I said, look, when we do the Plymouth, can we also do the Victor? Now, I will be honest. I thought, I think that'll do okay. I think that'll be popular. And it has been a runaway success. There's so many people have watched it and said, oh, you know. But the one thing that I didn't know before I did the video and I found out through the comment section, which is always very informative, is that they rotted away very, very quickly. And I didn't know this. So I was like, why is this amazing car here? And there aren't really any more, but apparently they rotted away really quickly. And more's the pity because it was a beautiful car to drive. I was really impressed with it. Remind me, you had mentioned this in your uh, review, that they actually based the Victor on American engineering. They did. It was based on, I think it was the 55 Chevy Bel Air. Um, and you can see it when you get in it because it's got that wraparound screen. And in fact, this is quite funny. 55 Bel Air. Do you mm -hmm. see it? I almost see a 56 yeah. Ford kind of thing. What do you, and, a, mm -hmm. and you know something that's odd? You talk about the fact that these rusted away because the paint on this one is just horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Built but by anyway, General Motors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Vauxhall is, was General Motors. Yeah. It was. And something really interesting is, is whilst it didn't go down well with the British buying public because we were ultra conservative because it was the, you know, the 50s and 60s when everything was black and white and we were all very stiff upper lip and a cup of tea and no heating indoors. Um, <laughs> and that was very blue and it was very exciting and it wasn't very British when you look at some of the other stuff that we had, like the... Um, the Morris Minor, for example, and a really interesting fact is, is early Fords actually say on them, 
Ford of England because the buying public were so nervous about stepping out of that British buying zone that by badging it Ford of England, they could get more people on board with it. Oh, you know, it's Ford of England, that's fine, you know, it's an English car. But anyway, going back to the Victor, the Victor didn't do very well for us necessarily, but on export, it was, I think, it was one of the most export, like it was massively popular in other countries. It wasn't necessarily one that we massively adopted here. Hmm. Yeah, you've got, you've got, Britain was a leader in exporting cars. And we, you know, the first imports that came into the U.S. were British. The returning, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the returning servicemen brought the sports cars. Uh, my first car was in Anglia. It was a, a courier station, what we call a station wagon. And we, my mother thought it was a safety vehicle because if I missed a shift, the pedestrians would pass me. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but uh, so I, I was kind of, I grew up with British cars and I love them, but they were the leading import in this country until Volkswagen. Do you know why that is? No. Or can I bore you to death with it? Oh, so, oh you, that's great information. Why? Right. So my friend Richard is a massive Morris Minor aficionado and he gave me this information. And so there's a group of us that are all still very, very close that all know each other purely because of Morris Miners. And in this country, after the war, we had a steel shortage and there are parts of the UK that you can walk around. And during the war, so Second World War, we went to such a degree of trying to get as much steel and metal in as possible that if you go to some public parks, the railings are cut down and they're still cut down to this day. And you just have these little stumps because they cut them down. But I believe there was something around they couldn't use the metal anyway. So a bit of a pointless exercise. Anyway, we get to the end of the war and it's a very different world for Britain because we've got the steel and as I understand it, and I'm summarizing massively, the manufacturers of cars would have to, so the government owned the steel and to produce the car, the manufacturer, so Morris, for example, would have to get the steel off the government. Now to get the steel in a world of steel shortages, they had to then agree to export it an enormous number it's something like 80 or 90 percent so yes. in the us you could have got your car like that for us we had to go on waiting lists so my friend colin has a 19 it's in the 90s it's either late 40s or early 50s morris minor and he said to me that the original owner would have had to go on a waiting list for several years to have even got that car and it was bizarre because whilst we exported, weird things happened abroad. So we exported Morris Miners, for example, to Australia. But when they got to Australia, they then dismantled them and rebuilt them. It's a bit weird. Um, but that's kind of why we exported a lot of cars, because it was a bit of a requirement. It wasn't necessarily something that they wanted to do. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know Ooh. that. Yeah, like no, some, I, I, something we didn't know before, Bob. Full of useless and trivia. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're educating us. That's great. I mean, your market is so much different than ours in, in the UK. Your cars, a big car, Rolls Royce or a Bentley or mm. something of that nature. But you get such interest. To me, you get interesting cars. You get the Aston Martins. You you get uh, the Lotus that we never that we didn't get here. You had so many cars over there that we didn't get. They're just to me, they're exciting. Now, there's some people that have brought some of them in over the years. Uh, I had a Cortina. I love that thing. Oh, I, love I can't those. find one now. I had a, I had a 64 and then I had a 67. 
Uh, they were great little cars, but Ford didn't you, support them. I bet you Steph could find one. I'm sure if they didn't rush away. <laughs> well, you say this, but my, uh, so my best friend, Joe, who's Anglia I featured, his mother drives a Cortina. She's had it since okay. the 1980s. Um, so she's got the Ford Cortina. So we're waiting for that to uh, come back on the road so that I can uh, review that. But yes, we'll be having a Ford Cortina. But yeah, no, it's, uh, our market is very different. And something very interesting about Aston Martin, because I have had a few friends work there, is that they still use local places around. So one of their epicenters is Coventry. So they've got Coventry. So essentially it's all around Warwickshire and Milton Keynes, etc. But they still use local manufacturers of certain things for tiny components. So I just find it so, so interesting because it really, it really invokes that feeling of the old British car industry where we had people like Wilmot and Breeden making keys and we had so many different, it was almost like a tree where all the routes were feeding into that manufacturer, whether that's British Leyland or whoever, or Rolls-Royce, they would feed in. And so when you see a car manufacturer go under when it had gone under, and in fact, there's a very interesting documentary about this on YouTube where the people from Wilmot Breeden talk about what will happen if British Leyland goes under. They say, well, it's not just the people making the cars that go, it's the people that make the keys, it's the people that make this, it's the people that make that. Mm. And Aston Martin still use all these different people that produce the components i just find it so interesting because i think sometimes we think that everything's made under one roof and it's really not and it's just for me it was very interesting finding that out just out of curiosity what does the the british public think of the the fact that other countries or businesses from other countries now own the what was the typical british car jaguar is now not owned by the brits uh Vauxhall is now owned by that conglomerate what was it Stellantis or something which yeah part partially Peugeot partially uh Fiat Chrysler it's for me I feel very sad about it because I think that the more you sell off so we've obviously lost Cadbury's as well and we lose all these iconic brands and with that I think you lose and without sounding too patriotic or over the top you do lose some of the specialness of that because by saying goodbye to something we then it's weird isn't it so a good example is is that cars when they start being made by somebody else under the same mark they maybe aren't the same quality or they aren't the same level of specialness that you originally got so um you've got who can i think of so rover for example the rover at the end of rover is very different in quality and standard to a 1950s Rover or a 1960s Rover when the car was built almost as an occasion. But by the 90s, you've got things like your Rover 100s that are just really just a bit run of the mill and don't feel that special. And they don't always have that same level of build quality. So I think people that are into cars really do feel quite sad about the situation and I think it is quite a sad thing but I think the general car buying public you know average Joe don't really care they're just very apathetic about it because they think oh well it's just a car and I don't know what it's like for you guys over there but for us nowadays people just for me you go for a drive out down the motorway for example and you look at the cars and they all look the same it's all silver black grey and 
maybe you occasionally get a blue or a red, but they all look the same or white. And they're all just these bloated over the top things like Nissan, Nissan Qashqai or, you know, uh, is it Dacia, 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 um, just those giant, enormous cars. And I think we have lost it just, I think globally, we have lost what made cars special. I've never gotten over the Plymouth and the Pontiac going away. I'm just saying no. <laughs> uh, back here in the, no. on, on this side of the pond. But uh, well, let's, let me get this. You mentioned this earlier. Uh, tell me about your first car. So my first car was a Metro. It was a Rover 100, but they all sat within the Metro series. And of course, uh, the early Metro, the Mark One Metro was owned by Princess Diana. It was one of her first cars. Um, I think it's the car that Prince Charles bought for her, actually. So very interesting and uh, something that Metro owners love to dine out on. Um, Is that why uh, you got that? Because Princess no. Diana? Oh, okay. I just... No, I got it. I got it because my mother had one and it was a car I'd learned to drive in and it had good visibility and it was cheap. It ah. was £200 at the back of a local newspaper in just a seaside town. And I thought, right, well, that'll do because everybody thought that, I was going to just, you know, as you do with a young driver, you think, oh, they're just going to crash it. And then it, it actually, it, it took itself off the road with that floor. So the seatbelt anchorages had corroded. There were no sills. There was no, the floor pans had gone. All the rear arches had gone. And the car at the time was only 12 years old. And again, that's really indicative that Rover just wasn't what it was. And yeah, so anyway, so after that, I got the Morris Minor and I bought that from a dealership because I thought I'm not going to be stung again. I'm not going to buy another rotten car. And I bought that in 2009 and I bought that from Charles Ware's Morris Minor Centre in Bristol. And they were lovely because I went down and they said, right, you know, you've never driven a Morris Minor before. And I'd got carried away with the romance of it. And I thought, oh, it'd be brilliant. It'll be so easy to drive. And I got in and I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? The steering wheel's enormous and the brakes are rubbish. And, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just thought I'm going to crack on because everybody said I couldn't do it. And I still have that car. And uh, we've made lots of fabulous memories because I, I hope that it's the same in America as it is here, that when you buy a classic car in this country, you immediately become initiated into the world of classic cars. Yep. So yeah. I was actually, I mean, watching my videos, you probably wouldn't guess it, but I was actually quite shy and I was a little bit, I know, I know. And <laughs> every time it broke, I every wasn't time saying it, anything. I was on your no. side. Okay. And every time it broke, I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to speak to people. So eventually I ended up being indoctrinated into the world of Morris Miners. And through that, I have completely transformed my social life. So, and I think that's the thing about a classic car. And that's the thing I enjoy most about it. People say, oh, you know, is it the driving experience? Is it seeing it on your driveway? And it's not. It's actually the social life that's come with it. So I've made some of the most amazing friends. I've traveled around Europe in the car. Um, we have made friends all over the world. So we've got friends in America. We've got friends in Australia. And I don't know, for me, that's the most special part of classic car ownership. And that's, that's I guess, when you said, what, you know, what was your first car? What was it like? For me, what I see as my first real car is that Morris Minor. And it has just been fantastic and I've loved, well I say I loved every minute but I haven't, that is a lie. I haven't loved breaking down in the snow and no. things going wrong and sitting on a vinyl seat on a boiling hot day on the hottest day of the year. Have I enjoyed that? Absolutely not. 
but have I enjoyed all the adventures that have come with it? The mad, madcap adventures to we. So we have miners on tour, which sounds quite dodgy, but it's essentially Morris miners on tour and over a hundred people sometimes go, we get over a hundred cars go and we go to different places around Europe and we see these amazing things and we have these amazing experiences. And so for me, that's the best bit about classic car ownership. It's just everything that comes with it. It's not actually really the car at all. Steph Holloway is, of course, the host of I Drive a Classic. Steph, thanks for joining us. And we Thank have a couple you. more questions to go here before we let you go. Top three cars you haven't driven yet that you want to oh. drive on your show. Oh, this is an unfair question. So, <laughs> all right, make it 10. I don't care. Okay, let's make it three. <laughs> let's make it three because I'll be here all day. So, uh -huh. I really want to drive a Vauxhall Chevette. Um, I've had that on the list for ages and I <laughs> love sorry. them. I don't mean, we don't mean to laugh. The horrified <laughs> look on our faces when you said Vauxhall Chevette. Chevette. Wait a oh. minute, that's, the, that's, that's not the Chevy Chevette that we know and love out here. And I say love loosely. Mm. That's the small Chevette, right? Well, I'll, it's, I'll look at it. It's known as a shove it over here. Yeah, because, same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same car. All yeah. right, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. And then other than that, I'd really like to drive um, a BMW Isetta. So they're the tiny oh, okay. little bubble cars. Those yeah. Cool. I really, really want to do one of those. And I guess, what else do I want to do? I've got my list in the back bedroom, actually. Um, of we'll wait. All... No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so I've got this list. I've got this list at the moment of all the different cars that I've booked um, that I'm really excited to tick through. So, in fact, I've got... Um, I've got this really, I've got, what, what is it? What is it? I don't even know. Um, Give us a hint. It T is. Time to play. Oh. Let's guess what's in Steph's brain. Oh, Go ahead. <gasps> oh no, you've caught me off guard. Okay, so what's the third, what's the third car that I'd like to drive? Um, I could ask you another question and then of course you'll think of the third car as you're answering the other car. I have remembered it. I have remembered it. So there's a 50s Cadillac and I'm trying to oh. butter up the owner at the moment. And I'm like, please, please. And I think, give me another three months. I should have them over the line. But uh, yes, because I've got the American bug now. Thanks to you lot, producing amazing cars. I have got <laughs> the American car bug. It's like, wow, look at these. They're amazing. They're pink. They're this, they're that. Um, and so, you could live in them. All your yes. family. Good. <laughs> how how do you park those things? I was trying to park it. Do you have massive parking spaces? Uh, compared to you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Compared to you. Uh, some of our cars, you can't even get into the garage. I'm trying no. to remember. you Garages, because I have my 57 Pontiac wagon that that is about 18, 17, 18 feet long. And I can get it in. But if I got, because one of the cars I always wanted to get one of these days is a 57 DeSoto which is Ooh. about as long as a Cadillac. And yes. it, there's no way. My wife always says, where are you going to park it? And then mm. we all laugh. And I go, gosh, where would I have to? I'd have to like buy property just to, uh, <laughs> and Bob has property that he parks his cars in. What do, you, what do you have, a warehouse, right, Bob? Yeah, basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've got two four-post lifts and cars oh, wow. on those. And uh, I was, you know, you're talking about your Vauxhall Chevette. I was just looking it up. It is the same as ours with a different front end. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it was okay. It was part of the GM conglomerate. Yeah. The Chevy Chevette, the Opal, the uh, Isuzu, and the Vauxhall were the same car with different trim. Oh, boy. 
there we go. And it was it was the Isuzu iMark and blew my horn. I worked for Isuzu and uh, yeah, we we it was once I got there, then I then I figured out what was the same on them. But you know, they weren't that bad a car. I got to race one once. What? We did, yes, we did. An, we did like an iRock oh. series. Okay, so you tore all the engine stuff out and you made no. it a hot rod. No, we all rented them, and they were rental cars at the time. So three of us wanted to challenge each other to see who's the best driver. So we went and rented Chevettes. So here's equal cars, <laughs> and we took them out and we we raced them on the track, and I won. But they they were fun they were you know they didn't yeah they were shovets because shovets because they didn't go very fast i want to see what happened when you brought the car back and handed the keys and as you shut the door the rest of the doors fell off and the trim fell off and everything else fell apart the tires yeah. were pretty bald yeah okay there you go <laughs> and so we're going to look forward to step putting together yep. the Vauxhall chevets and we're going to keep an eye on how that works uh uh that sounds like a lot of fun now steph we also do a little thing where we get you to do and answer a question for us in our patreon.com uh, for our patrons out there. So uh, we'll be doing that as soon as we wrap this up. A quick question with Steph, and you can see it on our Patreon page by joining as a patron of the show yes. and uh, helping Bob pay for his lifts. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and also where his car is. Thank you. But I'm bummed. Bye -bye. All right, Steph, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us here. Hey, don't forget to listen to our audio podcasts on radio.com and knx1070.com. Watch our video podcasts on our new Two Tired Guys Productions channel. If you're listening to this on the radio or on radio.com, uh, our video will be coming up in a couple of weeks, so make sure you follow that. Follow us on social media. Become a Two Tired Guys patron. Exclusive videos. You get some swag as well. Until next time. I'm Randy. That's Hot Rod Bob. That's Steph all the way from dun, 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 And we're all having fun talking about cars. We are. See you next time. This is the Two Tired Guys production. <laughs>